The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. morning everyone. Am I on? Uh, as always, if you have the church app, you can follow along the notes in that. We're up to our final week of Galatians. I don't know if you're happy or sad about that or uh, indifferent and you haven't realised we've actually been going through Galatians, but anyway. We come to the end. In the movie, The Born Identity, a mysterious figure is pulled from the ocean uh, by a, a fishing boat and he has no recollection of who he is. All he knows is that he's very good at beating people up. And as the movie unfolds, he is confronted with the reality of who he was as basically a military assassin a cold-blooded killer, psychopathic even. But he realises that he wants to be someone different. And, and so he's on this quest to discover who he really was so he can bring some resolution to that and so he can live as the person he wants to be. In the West, we've become a generation that's really quite obsessed with this idea of identity. So we have this notion as a culture that we create our own identity independent of anyone else. Um, I'm my own person and if anyone tries to push back on that identity that I have determined, then at extreme ends we can be labelled as a bigot. Of course, this can create some conflict because the way we construct our identity is sometimes has a different basis. So for you to say I have to see you in a certain way may actually conflict with the way I see the world and then we have this conflict that we call identity politics. I'm not going too deeply into identity politics this morning, that's not my intention just to say that identity is a really important part and it's a battleground for our society. And as we come to the end of Galatians, which is our point this morning, Paul wants to remind the Galatian Christians and us that they have a new identity and it's not one they have to search for, it's not one they have to create themselves and it's probably not something they're going to be affirmed for by the wider society 
And yet this new identity changes everything. Paul has evidently, as we come to the end of this letter, been using a scribe, what was fairly common. He, he begins, look at what large letters I use as I write to you in my own handwriting and he's really trying to grab their attention. He's sort of signing off the letter, which would have been common, but he's also trying to grab their attention um, as he, he scrawls these with his poor eyesight uh, across the, the papyrus. The first thing he does in verses 12 and 13 is he calls the motors of the Judaizers, his opponents, the people trying to lead the Galatians astray, he, he calls their motives out. He said, those who want to make a good impression in the flesh, in verse 12, are the ones who would compel you to be good, uh, circumcised, but only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. Paul says that basically they're motivated by fear. They didn't really care about the Galatians. On one hand, they're just point scoring. On the other hand, they're trying to be acceptable to the wider Jewish community and to the point that they were willing to compromise the gospel so they could be socially acceptable. Probably wouldn't hurt their egos either if they won a few converts over to their way of thinking. The reality is that every generation of Christians has its pressure points. The, the things that we're, we're pressed into or tempted to compromise in order to avoid social exclusion uh, or persecution or rejection. And sometimes these things might seem harmless, but they can actually run very deep because on the surface they may not be a big thing in themselves, but they actually run to the Lordship of Jesus. It's often not about the issue that's presenting, it's about who gets to call the shots in my life and in fact in the world. For the Galatians and these Judaizers, the question was, is Jesus enough? Do I submit to Jesus and to the cross? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Or do I submit to the law? On another hand, it was, do I trust God or do I trust myself to be able to be good enough? And although they thought they could have it both ways, the Judaizers weren't coming and saying, reject Jesus. They were just saying, add circumcision to Jesus. The reality is, Paul says, no, you can't have it both ways. And we've talked about why that is as we've gone through. Jesus abolished the law. And so to submit to it again was implicitly, even if you didn't think you were, but it was to reject his work. This makes us think about, oh, so what are the pressure points that affect us today? So I mentioned identity politics earlier and it really is a major issue in our society. In our wider culture, for example, it's not simply enough to love someone who might be different, who might think very differently, who might even have values that go against yours. It's not simply enough to love that person. You have to affirm them. But here's where the problem often arises. By requiring us to affirm someone, whether it's over their sexual or gender identity or something else, 
someone on YouTube recently came out as Korean. A British person. Never been to Korea, doesn't have a, had the cosmetic surgery. There were a bunch of Korean people on YouTube who said, you know, maybe that doesn't make you Korean. But, but here's the thing, is that in affirming, not just loving or accepting, but in affirming what those people say they are and how they're identifying themselves, you are requiring me to affirm a whole world view that I reject. It's a whole way of seeing the world. It's a question, not just of loving or accepting, it's a question of truth and authority. The culture says the individual is the source of their own truth, while the church says that God is the source of truth and authority as revealed in the Scripture. We can't go imposing that on the world. What we have is a worldview that's given to us by the Lord. It, it, it is something that, although everyone has access to this, God really needs to reveal it to us. It comes as we're regenerate, regenerate in Him. So we don't go imposing it on people, but for the world to impose, or for anyone really, on, on one hand, to impose something on another is also wrong. And so sadly, many churches and many Christians compromise the gospel at this point. They shift the place of authority from the Word of God, from the Gospel, from God's revelation, onto cultural standards. And this is where the, the wars often shift from just the culture into the church as well. And honestly, many churches are bleeding profusely uh, numbers because of it, as people who want to remain biblically faithful have to leave, are virtually forced to leave their churches um, because the, the church has rejected that. But lest I be accused of being partisan, I want to offend everyone this morning and say that the Christian right also gets this wrong. As Christians, the answer is not simply to impose our views on society, no matter how right we think we are and know we are especially to impose them politically, which is often where this goes. This isn't just about politics, you see. It's about where we see the power to bring about change uh, really lies. No, I'm not saying Christians can't be in politics this morning, okay? So, uh, it's how we understand the place of politics. You see, if we believe that the Kingdom of God is going to come through political institutions and through political machinations, what are we saying? What are we saying about the gospel, the simple preaching of the gospel, the power of God to change lives? Because where is that power? If the gospel isn't enough for us, then are we really saying we believe the cross? Are we really saying that Jesus is Lord in the way that He said He was? Do we really believe the gospel is enough to change lives and communities and nations? And so our job in the culture wars is, so to speak, to bring the gospel, express the love of the gospel, but also to bear the blows of the gospel as Jesus did. While we at the same time love our enemies and bless those who persecute us.
the cultural wars are just one example. It really is about identity and where I put my authority and where I put my faith, which is what this letter has been about. And so what are the pressure points that you feel? What are the pressure points that we feel as a church? And perhaps the blind spots we need God to reveal to us sometimes. Is Jesus really Lord? Is the cross enough? And in verses 14 to 16, then Paul moves to the heart of the issue. He says, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. And it all comes down to this, my relationship with God, my relationship with the world, my ethics, my politics, the way I see myself. Paul boasted in the cross we have to understand that as a Roman citizen, for Paul to say that, or not just a Roman citizen, but someone living in the Roman world, how radical that was. You see, we boast in the things that, we, that give us strength, right? Yeah, when you go and if you're talking to people in the office or something, you don't tell everyone about your sins and, you know, how bad things are unless other people are making them bad. You, you talk about the good things. You talk about the things that make us look good, that feel good, that make us look good in other people's eyes. Unless you're an exceptionally godly and humble person, and I'm sure this room is full of them. We boast in what gives us strength. For the Jews, that was the law. That was a point of conflict in Galatia. For Greeks and Romans, it was their culture. I mean, still today, we look at Greek culture. It's only recently that we stopped learning Latin. For some of you, maybe you had to learn a little bit of Latin in school. I don't know. My, uh, my mother-in-law did. We still treasure the, the Greek and Roman classics. They had a rich culture and that was a source of pride for them. But for the Christian, what's our source of pride? The cross. The cross that in their world was very much a source of shame and humiliation and yet Paul embraces that shame and that hardship. And remember that the cross wasn't just a symbol on a building. For people in the Roman Empire, it really was a symbol of shame and horror. I'm going to say something very graphic to give you an eye of that idea of this. It is very possible that as some Galatian was walking to church that morning, not knowing Paul had sent a letter, they're about to have this read to them in church, that they passed someone on a cross with their hands and feet nailed to the cross, the crows pecking out their eyes as they scream in agony while a mob laughs at them. That is the image that is before the Galatians that Paul is saying, I embrace this. Of course, not the, the cross in general, but the cross Jesus died on, what he did in that. But this is what a Roman is probably hearing, a, a, a Galatian is probably hearing as, as Paul says this. It's like, what? The cre preaching of the cross really was offensive. It really was outrageous. And yet, this is the way of Jesus. 
with that sort of image, can you imagine Jesus saying to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must pick up his cross daily and follow me. And because Paul has embraced the cross, the world is dead to him. And he's dead to the world. I mean, how can you live with that? But not just that, he is in Christ. Christ has died and he has died with Christ. So there is no relationship with the world in this sense. We no longer are of this world, we're despised by the world. Back in uh, chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said that I no longer live, it's Christ that lives in me. So in dying, Christ has done what the law never could. He made a new creation. He made a new humanity. It's a new identity. And then in verse 16, Paul really leans into this. He says, May peace come to all those who follow the standard and mercy even to the Israel of God. Now, if you read commentaries and scholarship, there's a lot of opinions over what that means. But I think in the context of this letter and Paul's theology, here's what he's talking about. While the Judaizers claim authority based on their Jewish heritage and their conformity to the law, remembering that Christianity started out as a Jewish sect, Paul looks to the true Israel. It's the children of faith who are Abraham's descendants. He's made this clear through the letter. Uh, Both Jew and Gentile are now children of Abraham through faith, not through birth. And in Romans 9, he elaborates on this. You can go read Romans 9 later. He says there, although he longs for his fellow countrymen, his his fellow Jews, his ethnic uh, Israelites, Uh, his fellow fellow countrymen and women to be saved, he says that not all who were descended from Israel are Israel. It's those who are of the promise by faith who are God's children. We have a new identity. Let's just recap a little bit how we've got here. Over the course of this series, we've seen the battle between Paul's gospel of salvation by faith and grace and the false gospel of righteousness through the law. So way back in chapter 1, Paul established his, his credentials as an apostle uh, as he retold the story of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and that was a, transform- a transformational moment for Paul. Saul, the persecutor of Christians, became Paul, the persecuted Christian. He had to run away because of it. He becomes passionate, he becomes obsessed, really, with, with Jesus. In chapter 2, we read of his early struggle with the circumcision party um, that intimidated even the great apostle Peter. But Paul says there that he and Peter knew that the law can't make us righteous. Chapter 2, we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live but Christ lives in us through faith. And then in chapter 3, Paul says to the Galatians, hey, remember the Holy Spirit is active among you. There are miracles. They're seeing gifts. They're seeing, there was probably all sorts of stuff. There was probably prophetic words. There might have been healings. Who knows what's going on there? But the visible work of the Holy Spirit is among you. Do you think God would be doing this if he did not accept you, if you needed to do more to be acceptable to him? This is 
what the Old Testament talked about the last days being. Not complete, there is still a fulfillment to come, but it's started, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near. Then he also talked about how the law had been a guardian, but now Christ has come and we're receiving our inheritance as adults, not children under a pedagogue. Chapter 4, we saw how we're free from the elemental principles of both the Jewish law and also pagan tradition. And Paul reminded them how he'd come to Galatia in weakness and they'd received him in weakness and this had been an opportunity for the gospel. Then in chapter 5, Paul starts to talk a bit more about the life of the Spirit. Through the Spirit, not the law, we have hope and the Spirit brings out this fruit of righteousness again not by following the law but by the life of God within us and now in chapter 6 as we come to the end he gives a testimony uh, that stands as a challenge he says I'm dead to the world I'm a new creation I'm part of the true Israel of God not by virtue of my very Israelite credentials but by faith So what about you Galatians? What about us today? Paul says he's dead to the world. Now look, we still live and we work in the world. We love the people of the world. Some of them are our friends and family. But the world's values, its wisdom, its ideals, its ideas of the good life, um, insofar as they're in conflict with the kingdom of God, then we have to reject those. They're actually irrelevant to us because we're part of a new society, a new world, a new nation, a new kingdom. The world and its values cannot save me. It can't tell me the deepest truths about who I am. And so I hope I am dead to the world as as far as the gospel and the ways of the new creation are concerned. I hope, actually, that the world finds me a little bit offensive. And I hope that it finds you a little bit offensive. Because I just wonder, if we're not a little bit offensive, have we really understood the offence of the cross? I know it's not in our face like it was in that world, But the cross is offensive to those who are perishing and still today people get it. For the church in the first and second century, a biblically formed new creation worldview meant that all people were created in God's image. And that drove the way that they related to other people in love. But it was really often countercultural. And because, as much as people may not like it, Christianity has shaped our culture so much today, we don't necessarily understand how radical these values necessarily were. But in a male dominated society that elevated strength and honour and prestige and despised humility and weakness, in that kind of society, Christians generally went against the grain. They were for the weak and the marginalised and despised. They were pro-women, pro-life, and as time went on, more and more blatantly anti-slavery. 
Now, Paul actually condemned slave trading in Scripture. There were some realities in the world that he had to deal with. So the Bible in the New Testament is, doesn't say a lot about slavery, but it becomes pretty evident that it's not pro-slavery. And the early Christians took that further. In a culture in which husbands culturally and legally had complete power over their family and in which divorce was even easier than it is today, you didn't need to go to court, you just left. You divorced. Christians insisted husbands love their wives sacrificially and faithfully and that they raise their family in a Christ-like spirit. In a society that encouraged sexual promiscuity and sexual experimentation, they taught chastity. And when the law said they had to pay their religious dues by sacrificing to the emperor, they preferred to suffer loss and sometimes their lives to remain faithful to Jesus. And of course, I could go on. And why did they do this? Because they were a new creation not just the idea of a new creation not just a metaphor but actually changed born again by the transforming power of the holy spirit through faith in christ they were no longer subject to pagan tradition and yes we obey the law of the nations insofar as they don't go against god's law but they had a new identity. They were subjects of Christ and they were in slavery to Christ and in that slavery to Christ, they discovered a new freedom. And the message of Galatians to us is will we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the testimony of those who have gone before. I just simply pray this morning that you will help us to live up to and lean into the new identity we have in Jesus. Amen.